Do you recognize this image from last week? It's the turbulent harvest. And when I think of the Uniting Church, I think of turbulent harvest. The Uniting Church came together as a union of mostly three denominations, although we did have a few hangers-on from other denominations. You might remember it was the Presbyterians, the Methodists, and the Congregationalists, and they're the ones who really stamped their mark on this movement and what it would become. This church was what? It was Methodist. <laughs> if you didn't know that, you know that now. So yes, yeah, so this was the old Pimpama Methodist Church on the highway. And as a uniting church, we have inherited this building. And with this building, we have inherited everything that has come with it, including the rats <laughs> and the, the structural issues and, and the heritage listing, which is a lovely thing, but it's meant that that's something we've had to be aware of. Oh, isn't it? Oh, my apologies. I thought it was. <laughs> they think it is up at head office, so we, we won't dissuade them of that, that fact. <laughs> but it is a beautiful church with a wonderful legacy in the local community, which we have inherited. Can you say that word for me? Inherited. And that's the big thing that today's message is about. Because as part of this inheritance, there comes a challenge. And that challenge is, what do we do with this today in this 21st century? Today, when the highway is no longer Old Creek Road running out, out front, but instead it's behind us. Today, when uh, 10,000 homes are to be built in the Pimpama Ormo area, to make affordable housing for Queenslanders and maybe the odd Sydney cider who wants to come up for a bit of a sea change. What does this inheritance mean for us? As many of you are aware, my wife and I are currently in the final stages of construction of our home. We got our final bill yesterday. It was both a chance for celebration and for kind of being downcast at seeing our mortgage go up again. <laughs> but we are so grateful that we are able to move into our home and we are grateful that we've been able to live in the Taragindi manse for this last year. Now the manse at Taragindi is an inherited property. It came as part of the old Wellers Hill Presbyterian Church. Now the church is no longer there. Our mass is actually on that property, and the property at the front is now the Christadelphian Church of Brisbane. And uh, they've been meeting, you know, on and off, really. They haven't really been meeting that regularly. But I'm always reminded of the fact that there is an inheritance, and there is a painting in our home of what Wellers Hill used to look like before the church was built. It's a very rough painting, and it shows a barren mound and that barren mound has gone on to become one of the iconic areas of the neighborhood, a place that is known by many people who live in the southern Brisbane area. Even in that context, we had an inheritance because that church was sold 
as part of the amalgamation when the United Church came together and all of the uniting members moved down the hill to the Taragindi Uniting Church and left the top of the hill and used the funds of that to be able to fund mission and ministry for the future. At one point, that church had a Sunday school of over 120 kids and was doing um, reaching out into the city and Annerley districts for providing for homeless people, people who were over here doing fruit picking and providing support particularly for domestic violence situations. So there's a whole lot of inheritance. Can you hear that? Can you hear that coming through with what we've received as part of who we are in this movement? And today I wanted to highlight beyond just who we are as the Uniting Church, but who we are as Christians, who we are as sons and daughters of God, and what this inheritance in God actually means. Because God doesn't necessarily promise us things that are tangible, that we can grab a hold of. God promises things which are greater than that, things which are spiritual. God promises us hope, love, and eternity. And these are things that we need to realize. But where did they come from? That's what I want to unpack today. And as we think about our inheritance in this church, I want us to also be thinking about what that means as we move out missionally into the local area and how we can make an impact in that way as well. So I invite you to bow your heads with me as we begin our time together. Heavenly Father, bless us this time. Bless us with an understanding of your word and your presence. <coughs> Help us know and feel that you are here with us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So, Paul in Galatians 3. We've gone far in our Galatians bunch, haven't we? We've gone three chapters. <laughs> Don't worry, we, we jump a few in the next couple of weeks. But three chapters. In these three chapters, we've covered a lot of mission. A lot of stuff that Paul was encouraging the Galatians to do in mission. And in verses 17 to 18, he says, The law introduced 430 years after Abraham does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through the promise. Can I ask a question? Was Abraham a Jew? No. No. Abraham was not a Jew. Therefore, Abraham did not come under the law, the Torah of Moses, who would come much later on. Now for Paul, this was hugely important because he was not ministering to Jews, he was ministering to Gentiles, people like you and I. And I like to compare that to the way in which many of us in the Christian church today find ourselves ministering to people who are unchurched, to people who have never had an understanding of what it means to get up on a Sunday morning go to church and sing these hymns to people for whom what we do this morning is completely alien and that they would compare what I'm doing right now to a lecture as opposed to words of hope and life, which is what I hope to instill in you. And so when I think about what Paul is saying in that context and the challenge he is bringing to the Galatians, sorry, I think about what 
Paul is saying to our context. And the challenge he is giving us to 21st century Gentiles. Because there is a group within the life of our society who don't know church, who don't like church, who frankly don't want to have anything to do with church, but who deeply hunger to connect with a spirituality beyond themselves. I've met a few of them. And let me tell you, when God gets into that space, lives change in drastic and dramatic ways. And it doesn't stop there. It goes far beyond. It affects families, communities. People who were once a burden suddenly become a help. And they don't understand it. But they become beacons of light and hope for those around them who are still in the darkness. I've been really blessed that in the few opportunities where I've seen this happen, folks have been connected back into a Christian community. And ongoing discipleship and engagement with Scripture has meant that they've come to understand and realize what that light actually means and how God has wanted them to use it. I was speaking to a friend of mine last night, actually, someone who came through a very similar story. And I said to him, when you are in the stage you're in right now, the fire of the Holy Spirit can burn really, really hot. It can burn so hot that it actually burns the people around you. And you've got to be careful about that. Because you don't want to be burning people. But you do want to spread that fire, don't you? So I was advising him, temper. Temper that fire. Let it be as embers and coals. So that when a nice little spark leaps over there, it's a warming, pleasant, lovely little fire. Not an inferno that burns those who are around you. That, my friends, is my prayer and hope for the mission and ministry of this church and of this whole area. And we can do it. I believe it. I believe we all have people in our life for whom we need to be praying that that spark that's already in our lives may be able to go forward and kindle something in them. And today's message is about that inheritance which we have received in Christ our Lord that goes all the way back to that first Gentile, post-Noah, that God spoke to, blessed, and whose life was called righteousness. In Romans 4, Paul says, What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, this is the forefather of the Jews, according to the flesh, discovered in this manner, in this matter, If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, then he had something to boast about, but not before God. What the scriptures say. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham did not receive an inheritance of godly righteousness, spirituality. No, he did not. Abraham's father, the Bible tells us, was called Terah. And tradition tells us that he was an idol maker. He was an inventor of gods. Doesn't God have a sense of humor? That he would reveal himself to the son of such a man. 
And if you remember, of course, Abraham means the one who would be the father of many nations. So once again, we go back to what Paul was saying in Galatians. Because he doesn't call him Abram. He calls him Abraham. He doesn't call him to be the one father of the one people, Israel, the Jewish people. He calls him to be the father of many nations. And that is what the word Gentile actually means. The Hebrew word goyim. Gentile means nations. That's what they're trying to say. That Abraham would be unlike others of his day and of his time. Because from him, many different people, diverse, distinct people, people with funny accents like mine, would come. And they would be one family. And they would gather together. And they would be a beacon of light and hope. Genesis 15, 6. And I had a look at it in the original languages and I just... Friends, there are moments. There are moments. Again, I'm, I'm not that smart. But there are moments when I'm looking at a text like this and I feel, I feel the words are reaching through the ages. And this was one of them. I had a text there in front of me in the Septuagint from 300 years before Christ. And it said there, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him in righteousness. And it spoke to me. It hit me right here. Because I'd just been reading what Paul had been saying and how Paul had been saying, this is your ancestor too. And this is your, what? Inheritance too. That's it. You're getting it. And then I opened it up to the Masoretic text. And I saw the Hebrew with all of the squiggly lines and all the dots. And yes, I had to read it like a fifth grader, like a kindergartner. <laughs> and once I read it aloud, and I was able to separate the words, and I went, oh, oh, it hit me right here. It said the same thing. The message had not changed, but it felt like I could hear Moses' words through the ages, reaching out and touching my heart, saying, this your ancestor believed, not a blood ancestor, but an adopted one, adopted into the family of God through Christ. I hope these words are having an impact on you too, because it's an awesome thing. And I don't say that flippantly. It literally inspires awe in me. To know that I have an inheritance from the Almighty. And that it's a promise. Friends, God keeps His promises. He is not like a, an ignorant, forgetful father that sometimes forgets to take the kids out to Macca's or that extra treat of ice cream when they were particularly good. God doesn't forget. God remembers His promises. So what shall we say? Why then was the law given at all? Paul asks in verse 19. It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Interesting that the word here, this translation says angels. 
Because it's really meant to say messengers. You see, what's happening here is that Paul is changing his linguistic domain. You with me? Do you understand? So if I say, for example, the word bursar, what's that? Yeah? Oh, no, bursar, it's a kind of injury. Right? That bursar, yes, yes. But if I say bursary, what is that? It's academic. So you can see how there's a change, similar word. They both mean a lump of something, effectively. But it changes very distinctly. And here, he's changing that word. Why is he doing that? Because he's using legal language. Because he wants the Jewish people in the audience to really prick up their listening and understand. He wants them to know that the mediators, the lawyers, the Pharisees, and the messengers, the prophets, who came beforehand, were meant to give something that was yet to be fulfilled. That law, that promise was yet to be fully realized and it was realized on that third day when Jesus rose from the dead. Everything that that law was meant to do and meant to be was fulfilled. And God as the judge, Jesus as the victim, and the Holy Spirit, one of that team of lawyers, they stood there and they could have looked at us as sinners and said, you know what? The conviction is guilty. But no. Instead they said, love has acquitted you. That's what that word righteousness actually means in the original language. It's that moment where the judge wipes out the charges and says, you are free to go. Verse 22, Scripture had locked up Everything under the control of sin. He's talking about the law. Yes, the Ten Commandments, but the 600 and something laws that many Jews follow even to this day. And he says that that was all locked up in in the control of sin. So that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given. And I'm going to add the word liberally to those who believe. Earlier in this chapter, he's describing how Jesus died on that cross and how that death was deserved and it was meritorious for our sake. When someone dies and you get a gift from them, what's it called? Oh, you're getting it. God has a beautiful inheritance for us. A promise. But we need to remember that we are children of God. We also need to remember that there are children of God right now who are unaware of that inheritance, who are unaware of that beacon of light and love and hope. And I believe in today's 21st century, we need to be aware of those people. My challenge to you this morning, think of someone this week who you know needs that light of love and hope. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's the doctor that you see from time to time. 
I was praying for my physician once. He seemed like a really cool guy. And I thought, I really hope that he knows Jesus. The very next week I came to him. He said, oh, you're a pastor. I'm a Christian too, but I haven't been to church in years. It opened up such a wonderful opportunity for us to talk and for me to witness into his life. I don't know whether or not he ended up going back to church, but I know that God was in that moment where we were together. So my challenge for you is find that one person. One. Pray for that person. Pray that God will open up doors in their lives. And maybe, maybe it'll be you who shares that seed. But maybe it'll be someone else. You don't know. But if we begin in prayer, the book of James tells us that prayer of a righteous one can achieve a lot. Paul goes on to describe that the law was our guardian, our foster parent, until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. He goes on to say in verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs of that inheritance according to that promise. We are no longer under that foster child arrangement. We are now with our loving Father God where we are meant to be. And that is what I hope we can share with all those that we pray for. Do you recognize this painting? I believe it's by Rembrandt, very famous painting. And it's Doubting Thomas putting his finger in the wound of Christ. It is in this situation where Christ encounters doubt that he says to his disciples, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. The word he uses there in the original is the totality of all things. Do you like that? I like that. The totality of all things must be fulfilled because it was incomplete. Now, this is not to say that when God created the world back in the book of Genesis, that his creation was, was not as he wanted it. No, he looked at it and he said, it's good. It is as he wanted it. But yes, it wasn't complete. It still needed that full sanctification, that full redemption that we had in Christ. Everything must be fulfilled. The totality of all things must be fulfilled. Must be made complete. So that what is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds. To the, so they could understand the scriptures. Right after this incident, Jesus ascends. And the apostles go out. We have those wonderful passages from the book of Acts. Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 are saved. John and Peter see a lame man by the temple. They reach out, hold his hand. He stands. He can walk. The apostles are in a prison. They sing psalms. They sing praise to the Lord. And the earth shakes so that the bars break from the wall. And the jailer <laughs> believes in God. 
And he and his whole household are baptized that day. That fulfillment, Christ revealed to his disciples in that moment and the Acts ministry began. I wonder if Christ fulfills in us his scripture in our lives. What are the miraculous things we're going to be talking about? What are the miraculous stories we will tell about this time and this season? I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I'm excited to see that. Let us conclude our time there and ask for the Holy Spirit to continue to lead us and guide us in the understanding of this word. Father, your Holy Spirit is with us. Bring to our minds and to our hearts that one person whom we can pray for, whom we can ask for you to bless and to be present in their lives. Maybe use us as a vehicle for that message. But Father God, where you may not, where you may decide not to use us, use us in our prayers so that others will be empowered by your Holy Spirit to share your love and to be those beacons of hope and life and truth into their lives. We are so grateful for this opportunity to exercise our inheritance in Christ our Lord. And so we commit this moment to you in Jesus' name. Amen.